this response because most of us here are believers, Christian believers. We'd all go, well, yeah, it matters, but why does it matter? And why is it important? And uh, to this morning, I don't know if you got up early or not, but I woke up real early this morning. I usually do, uh, and uh, sat in my living room, and I have a direct shot of the eastern sky, and uh, you could see the sun coming up. It got a little cloudy after a while, but I just kept thinking about what it was like for them on that first day of the week. You know, it didn't matter that the sun was shining because when they were going to the tomb, they expected to find Jesus there. So it wasn't like they danced their way down to the tomb. They went to finish off the burial stuff that they needed to do at the tomb. And uh, so as they are on their way, of course, and as you read in verse 1, it says, And now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved. That's John referencing himself, because he believed he was Jesus' favorite. And said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. I don't know who she thought. She said, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. Now, an angel had appeared, as Chuck had shared earlier there in the service, an angel had appeared to them, but they're still struggling to believe any of this has actually happened. Okay, this is such a miraculous thing uh, to them. It was so incredible that this would have actually have happened. And we don't know where they have laid him. So they're thinking his body is laying around somewhere. Peter, therefore, went out and the other disciple, and, and, and they were going to the tomb. And so they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter. I guess John felt like he needed to let everybody know that he, could, he was faster than Peter. And so he came, <laughs> he came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, Yet he did not go in. And Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen clothes lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. And then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and he believed. Yet, for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead uh, and then the di disciples went away again to their own homes. You know, in history, uh, why this is so unique for you and I about the empty tomb is, is that we are the only faith and the only belief system in the whole world that actually you can't find the body of the one we believe in. Uh, the empty tomb is such an, an incredible part of the whole story if you look at Abraham, of course, who is the founder of the Jewish faith, uh, which came 2,000 years before the birth of Christ, his bodies remain in a tomb. History records that in the year 483, that his body is still in a tomb. History records in 483 B.C. that Buddha, uh, who was about 80 at the time he died from eating poisonous mushrooms, he was cremated and buried in India, and his remains are still there to this day. Okay, so that's where Buddhism would come from. So you have the Jewish faith, you have Buddhism, and then you have the story of Muhammad. 632 AD, the prophet Muhammad became quite ill and developed a high fever, and he died at the age of 62. He laid the foundation for what is now the second largest and fastest growing religion in the world, Islam. 
Millions of Muslims still visit his tomb every year. But in AD 33, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, who was crucified, dead, and buried, his body was never found. His body was never found. And so this morning as we talk about does that really make any difference, yes, it does, because there is no one, there is no faith, there is no belief system that talks about their Savior rising from the dead and ascending into heaven. And there is none. There is none that talks about it. There's none that believe in it. And you can go visit the places where their bodies are today. But when you go to Jerusalem and you go to the place where it says that they put where they think, because they're not, you know, it's a little hard to be accurate about all of this because it happened so long ago. Uh, Plus, what's the point in worshiping an empty tomb when you have a living Savior? Right? You know, when you go to Jerusalem, you get to see all those things. You get to see where they believe Jesus was born. Chuck's been there. Uh, We're going to be taking a group here next year. And, uh, you know, you you get to see all the different things. But the the reality is, is is that you don't want to ever get lost in all of that historical places and miss out on the reality that Jesus is just as real as the person sitting next to you right now. Because he is risen. He is risen indeed. It's interesting as you look at the story about Jesus and about this this resurrection, that it was in the evening that Jesus appeared to his disciples. He did not appear to them in the morning. He appeared in the evening. In fact, uh, the Bible tells about a couple of different places that he showed up. He showed up to two that were on the road to Emmaus. He showed up in the room where they were all gathered together. And when he showed up to them, they all didn't believe it when they saw it. Even after all the day's events that had happened, they still were struggling with, is, did, this really, did this really happen? The Bible also tells us that there were some 500 people that saw him over the next 40 days. So he was here on earth after his resurrection. For four, he was back and forth on earth for 40 days. 500 people saw him. So I just want to throw out a couple of, you know, if we were on, if we were going to put the, the resurrection on trial, okay, we were going to put it on trial, you and I, how many of you have ever been on jury duty? How many of you have ever actually had to be on a jury? I mean, I get on, I get asked to come, but I always get kicked out, which doesn't bother me. But if you've ever sat there, you know, there's going to be evidence that's provided, right? Exhibits they're going to bring and things to help you make your decision. And I know at times, like as Christians, we go, well, no, I just believe in that. Well, you know, I think it's important for us to be able to identify why we believe this, why we believe this. So we're going to take Exhibit A. Exhibit A in this story about Jesus is the fact that there was an empty tomb, that Jesus' body was placed in a tomb made of solid rock. He was covered with spices, which have weighed almost 100 pounds, He was completely wrapped in strips of linen cloth, and then they would have rolled a stone that is estimated by scholars to weigh about 4,000 pounds, okay, that would have been rolled in front of the entrance to the tomb. On that, uh, once the large stone was in place, they put a group of 16 Roman soldiers outside of that tomb to guard it and to keep it secure. And these were not like, you know, like you see, Sometimes you'll see in pictures two guards in miniskirts standing outside the tomb. Uh, these were Roman soldiers. 
Rome at the time is considered one of the toughest armies in the world. Later on, the barbarians overthrow them, but they're the toughest. I mean, these, these, they, they go through grueling, grueling. If you ever seen the, 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 the movie on the, the Spartans and what the Spartans went through, Romans were put through that kind, as children, that kind of torture to develop their metal and to prepare them for battle. And that's how Romans were. And so when they were put in, these 16 soldiers, they were not just sitting around, you know, guys just sitting around a fire, having a chit chat and taking naps and whatever. These are soldiers that are, uh, they're gladiators that are put outside that tomb. Matthew tells us that in addition to the Roman guard, there was a seal that was placed around the tomb. If anybody tried to break the seal, the Romans would come after them and they would be executed, okay? They would be executed for even touching the seal. But in spite of all the precautions, a 4,000-pound stone, 16 soldiers in a sealed tomb, when the people began to arrive at the tomb that morning, they all saw the same thing, an empty tomb with nothing there but a blood-stained burial cloth folded neatly by itself. So the first exhibit of all of this is, is that, look, a 4,000-pound stone was rolled out of the way. Sixteen gladiator soldiers were overpowered. The body has disappeared. Never to be found. You know, you'll see once in a while the History Channel or one of those, you know, uh, they'll, have a, they'll, they'll make a declaration like, body of Jesus found. First of all, they didn't find the body of Jesus. What you find is, is they find the tomb of a man by the name of Joseph, who they believe was the father of Jesus. And so they'll say they found the body of Jesus. They didn't. They haven't found him thousands and thousands of years. They haven't still been able to find him because his body is not here, except in his church. Amen. So they would have had to have disposed of his body in a neat way. You know, the rumor was flying around that and that was the lie that they wanted told was tell everybody that they stole his body. All right, so what you're saying is, is that a group of 12 and some women came down overpowered 16 gladiators who have been trained from the time that they were young men, overpowered them at the tomb, then broke the seal, and then all of them rolled a 4,000-pound stone out of the way, and then after they did all of that, they took his body out and hid it somewhere. They hid it somewhere. That's exhibit A. Exhibit B is the multiple witnesses. You know, early Christians didn't just believe because of an empty tomb. They believed because they saw Jesus. They saw Jesus with their very own eyes. When they talked to others about Jesus, they didn't say, we found an empty tomb. They said, we saw Jesus, and he was alive. He was alive. We talked with him. The most outstanding proof that Jesus rose from the dead is that over 515 eyewitnesses saw him on 12 different occasions. 515, and now, now, now watch this, okay? 515 witnesses saw him on 40 different occasions, and every single one of them tells the exact same story about seeing Jesus alive. Now, if we had, let's just say we had 100 people out in the parking lot, and we watched two cars get in an accident, let me ask you, as witnesses to the accident, would, do you believe that all 100 people would give the same account of what just happened? 
So exhibit B is the fact that 515 people saw him and talked with him and recognized him and every one of them told the exact same account about what they saw with Jesus. They believed on him. The third exhibit with this is the fact that the lives that were changed because of this experience they had with Christ. I want you to think about how that if the disciples knew this was all a lie, then why would they die for it? What would be the purpose in dying for a lie? And I'm not talking about, look, I'm not just talking about these guys like they, you know, got shot or a spear thrown at them. Some of them did. But I'm talking about that they laid down their lives. Some of them were filleted alive. Some of them were hung upside down. Some of them uh, were, ex- were beheaded. And every one of them, to the point of their death, still declared, still declared that Jesus Christ is alive. There was nothing that could make them turn. What, I mean, it would have had to have been such an incredible delusion for people to throw down their lives, lay down their lives for this belief in a risen Savior. But see, they had seen Him. They knew He was alive. They knew He was what He said. They knew, you know, the the tomb is only part of the story. The tomb is only one exhibit. The witnesses are another exhibit. And then, of course, this last part, the people's lives that were changed. You read about Peter and how he was one guy before Jesus and how he was a changed person after Jesus. How that he was a fisherman who could who vacillated back and forth. Jesus himself said, Peter, you're like a reed blown in the wind. But then all of a sudden, Peter becomes a leader in the church. And on the day of Pentecost, he stands up and preaches from the book of Joel, an outstanding sermon. I mean, as one who is not educated to do that, and stands up and preaches this incredible sermon on the day of Pentecost, and thousands of people come to Christ because of what he has said. We're talking about changed Lives. We're talking about people that died for what they believed, stoned, beheaded. And as I said, uh, every one of the apostles was killed. Every one of them except for John who died on the Isle of Patmos, but they tried to kill him a whole bunch of times. And uh, so, you know, every one of them had gone through terrible ordeals. And none of them did it seem to face them or bother them that they were going to give their lives for what they believed in. I mean, would you die for a lie? I mean, would you die for a lie? I mean, how easy is it, you know, to to just walk away from it, to just say, well, I don't believe it. You know, I think about how the story years ago about the little, the, the Chinese and how that when communism was taking over and they had told the Christians that you have to, you have to turn against Jesus. You have to turn away from him. You cannot declare, and if you do not do it, we will execute you right here in the street. This true story. And how that one by one, people would come up and they've made them spit on a picture of Jesus and say, I reject you. I don't believe in you. And people did it one after another. But a little girl was forced into that line and when she stood up to the front, true story. And they said, you have to spit on this picture and you have to turn away from Jesus. You have to tell us publicly you will not believe in God, that you believe in this Jesus Christ. And she said, I refuse. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's my Savior. And they shot her dead right there in the street, a little girl. But you know, it was an interesting thing. From that point on, every person in the line that was a believer was executed because they refused to turn their back on Christ. 
Listen, your testimony, and don't ever forget this, your testimony and your life of your faith in Christ affects way more people than you. There are people that watch our lives to see if what we really believe works, if we really believe that. Even people that ridicule and laugh and mock us and, and tell us, you know, that that's just stupid and that we're weird and that we're, you know, we're throwbacks and all the, you know, religious people. Listen, doesn't make any difference. Our witness is a living testimony. Our standing up for our faith in Christ impacts our neighbors. It impacts, listen, it impacts your family. Don't you dare compromise what you believe in front of your family. You have fought too hard to bring them to Christ. Don't turn away from it just because of pressure or because it's not working as quick as you think it should. Your life is having a living impact. You are a living, the Bible says this about you, you're a living letter written on by the hand of God. You are a living letter, an epistle it says written on by the hand of God, and your family sees that, and your co-workers see that, and people that ridicule and mock you, they see that in your life. You're a living testimony. You're a living testimony. So we have three exhibits that are brought. So does the resurrection matter? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you turn there with me real quick, 1 Corinthians 15 says this, and this is really powerful. Verse 12. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. And yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, in fact, if the dead do not rise." For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then all those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, if in this life only. Can I tell you a secret? This is the enemy's plan for your life, to think in this life you only have hope. That all your security is in this life. That all your peace is in this life that all your hope is in this life, that your retirement is your hope, that your bank account is your hope, that the life that you're living right now is your hope. Listen, that, if that is the only hope that we have is what is here in this life, then we are all people the most miserable. Because our hope exceeds even this life. Even this life. Amen? He said, listen, we're the most men, we're the most pitiable. But if you look at verse 20, but now, he said, listen, Christ is risen from the dead and he has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You know, this is a great passage. We've had so much, we've had so many people we desperately love that have gone on to heaven in this last, in the, within the last 12 months. I mean, just so tough. Some of you have lost husbands, wives, family members, neighbors, church family, and it's hard. It is hard. If in this life, that is the only hope that we have is the life that we had with them. But if there is more, see, the resurrection tells us there's more. See, on a day like today, we realize that, look, I miss them just as much as you. I miss my mom. 
I miss my dad, my aunt. I, I, can't, I, I think about them all the time. I never forget them. You never, listen, when somebody you love, you never get over it. You just learn to live with it. You learn to live with it. And it's hard. It is tough. It's very difficult. And the more you love, the harder that it is. But here's the good news. That's not, this life is not all that the believer has to look forward to because there is an empty tomb, an empty place over in Jerusalem that where our Savior was put, and He is not there anymore. He is risen. 515 people saw Him over 40 days, told the same exact testimony. Soldiers, 16 of this garrison, were taken out of the way by an angel so that that stone, 4,000 stone, which was nothing for an angel to move out of the way, could be moved out of the way. And people's lives have been transformed. I'm just talking about 12 disciples. Let's talk about generation after generation after generation that have stood for the gospel of Jesus Christ and have stood unwavering in the midst of governments that told them to shut up and have stood unwavering in the front of armies that have said, you'll die, and have stood unwavering in the midst of very difficult family situations and said, I refuse to give up. Because they believe that there's more. There's more than what we see. There's more than this life. But now Christ is risen. See, when we know that He's risen, then like this passage said, then we know the debt has been paid. Because if He hasn't risen, then we're still dead in our sins. We're still dead in our sins. But He is risen, and so our sins are paid for. We have had what I call a redemptive experience. You know, so I think for, for people, sometimes in church, because we, we offer salvation to folks, that we miss the the reality of a real experience with Christ. Because it's not just the prayer. That's really, I mean, it's awesome. I, and we'll do that here today. It's not just the prayer. It's not just coming to church services. It's an actual encounter with Jesus Christ and His redemption. Do you remember years ago, and I'm dating myself here, S&H Green Stamps? Do you remember that? And we used to collect stamps. Didn't they have a, they had a stamp redemption place around here somewhere when we first moved here anyways. And you, could, you would collect those stamps in books. Where do you get them? Where would you get them from? The grocery store? I don't know where you get them from. Grocery store? Okay, so you, people would give them to you. And you put them in the books. And when you get so many books, then you go look at the catalog at the Redemption Center, right? And you hand them all these stamps that you've saved up over time. And then they take those stamps and then they redeem them, right? Well, here's the thing. You and I... We had nothing to redeem ourselves with. I mean, look, we tried to get our own books. We tried good works. That didn't get us anything. We tried to be better people. Couldn't, that didn't get us anything. I mean, we had all kinds of, you know, heaven, what we thought were heaven green stamps that would be enough to say, okay, look, this will get me in. This will bring me to redemption. This will give me an experience with Christ. And what we found out is, is it didn't because works couldn't do it. Going to church didn't do it. Giving money didn't do it. Helping the poor didn't do it. None of it would do it. We only found that there was one way that we could experience, have a redemptive experience, and that was with a confrontation with the Redeemer. Oh, yeah. A confrontation with the Redeemer. And here's what happens when you have a confrontation with the Redeemer. If you haven't had this yet, I pray today that you do. 
A redemptive experience looks like this. I stand before purity, and I realize my impurity. And I realize that I'm unworthy to receive any of the purity that I behold. But the Savior says to me, in all your impurity, in all of your failings, in all your shortcomings, I give you the purity that I paid for. I give you a new life. I give you a clean heart. I give you a a freedom from your sin. And I do that for you. And here's what happens to me whenever I stand before my Savior in that redemptive experience. I stand before Him with so much gratitude in my life because I realize what a pitiful, terrible, horrible person I can be. And I realize the darkness of my heart. And I realize that in His great love that He has for Richard Jolliffe or for whoever, whatever your name is, that when He looks at me, He says, I know how bad you are, and yet I chose to love you. I choose to give you. the. I I choose to redeem you. You don't have what it takes to to, to be redeemed. So it's not just the prayer. It's that I'm standing before a risen Savior. A risen Savior. And I realize... And I go through this so often in my life where I sit in my time of thinking about this guy and I realize how grateful I am that I'm not the guy I think I am, but I am the guy that God says I am. Hallelujah. See, because Christ is risen, we're not in our sins. We're not in our sins. You say, well, I, you know, I, I believe in all that God stuff. Well, good for you. But have you had a redemptive experience? Because here's what happens when we have a redemptive experience. It doesn't just deal with our past. It begins to change our present. We change. We change. You know, from the day that I became a Christian, I started to change. Now, I'd love to tell you that I got up one morning and I was completely changed. Oh, my gosh. That would have been so cool, but that didn't want to happen. In fact... Truthfully, when I got up the next morning, I was pretty much the same guy, except I had God in my life. I had a relationship with Christ. But there was something in me that kept saying, go further, go deeper. There was a new voice that was speaking in my life. Oh yeah, the old voice was still around, was still speaking, but there was a new voice that spoke, that said, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old is passed away. All has become new. Something else that is just so powerful that happened to me, and I believe this happens for every Christian, is is that in life, no matter what, we find hope. See, the Christian believer, no matter what is going on in their life, has hope. If you've ever read... uh, uh, Sharon and I went and saw it yesterday, um, Pilgrim's Progress, if you've ever read the book. Uh, we, they had a little video that was out yesterday about it. And um, one of the things that hits the, the uh, Christian pilgrim is, is that he finds in this, in this story, he finds out that no matter how bad it is, there's always a way of escape. 
I've heard a lot of people through the years talk about what they thought the way of escape was. You know, I've heard them say, well, it's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I've heard them say death is the way of escape. I've heard them say that, you know, they're the peace that passes all understanding. And so, uh, you know, I've heard lots of different reasons for what that way of escape was. This is written about in the scripture, that there, no matter how bad it is, God has always made a way of escape. A way of escape. You say, well, which one of those is it? It's all of them. Because the way of escape is that no matter how bad it gets, you always have hope that God is with you. No matter what. Lose all your money. You have hope because you know that with God and you, listen, you're a majority. Lose everything in your family. You and God are a majority. Amen. Fall flat on your face. You and God are a majority. You will get back up because you have hope. See, the enemy wants to take that hope away from you because he doesn't want you to ever think there's any way out. I've even heard people say, I just don't, I don't see any way out. Yeah, there is a way out. Hope. Hope is a powerful, and that's what he finds in the, in the, in the uh, that's what, he, what Christian Pilgrim discovers in the whole story is when he meets a guy actually whose name is Hopeful. And he realizes that even in prison, he has hope. He has hope. Have you lost your hope? Have you lost the hope that if this doesn't work out, we're done? Listen, it isn't over until God says it's over. Amen. And so you can always have hope. See, when you look at people without hope, you look at the disciples on Saturday night. No hope. What are we going to do? We're all going to die. We're all done for. This is the end. You know, God was never thinking that. God said, no, no, wait, I told you in three days I'm coming back. I'll resurrect. He had a plan all along. So we can always have hope no matter what's going on in our lives. And that's why we have to live what Galatians 2.20 says, so powerfully, it says that I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Gave himself for me. Well, Pastor, you haven't had the life that I've had. It hadn't been as hard for you. Why, your kids have all done great for God. My kids, you don't know what I've gone through. Look, you don't hear me bellyache about it. One, bellyache and changes nothing. And I always have hope. No matter how bad it gets, I always have hope. You know, uh, we just this last week, I don't know if you knew about Joan Sample was in, is in the hospital. Joan had completely shut down. Kidneys shut down. Body was shutting down. Um, she's down in Detroit. And we got, Sharon and I went down to pray with her on Monday. And, I'm, and all the best that she could do was squeeze my hand when I would speak to her. And when I began to talk, when Sharon and I were talking with her, what we did and what, listen, and this is what we're supposed to do as Christian believers, we are dealers in hope. Listen, we are dealers in hope. I'm not going in that room and saying, hang on, Joan, it's almost over. I'm not doing that. I didn't do that with Chuck Clark. I didn't do that with, I'm not doing that with nobody. 
I didn't do that with Verna. I'm not doing that with anybody because I am a dealer in hope. Now, I will cast out the hope that no matter what, we have a place in heaven, glory to God. And death has no victory, amen. Hallelujah, and the grave cannot win. But we are dealers in hope. And so we went down and we said, Joan, we're going to declare over you that your body begins to work your lungs. They had her on a respirator and so the, to make her breathe. And she's, she's, she's just laying there slowly drifting out. But when you begin to speak hope to people, I said, Joan, you're going to live and not die. And she'd blink her eyes and squeeze my hand and nod her head because that's all she could do. Within two days, they had her off the respirator. Within two days, they had her off the respirator. And she talked to Sharon on the telephone. Did it look bad? I've seen bad before. It looked bad. But we are dealers in hope. Amen? We always have hope in our present. What are you in right now that you're like, man, it just looks so hopeless? It looks so bad. Here's your way of escape. My hope is in the Lord. God is on my side. Amen? The Lord is with me. Whom shall I fear? Amen? Why do I need to be afraid? in my present. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And then the last thing, and I think this passage answers this so well, is the future. That we talk about the future. The Christian has to answer death at some point in their life unless Jesus returns. Every Christian does. But the Christian answer to death is not found in ignoring death. Sometimes life, we try to ignore it. We just pretend that it's not really happening. I'm really not getting older. I'm really not having these problems. But we know that we're just pretending. The Christian does not ignore death, nor do they fear death. But here's what the Christian does. They face it without fear. They face it without fear. They stand face to face with it and say, death, you have no victory. Grave, you have no sting. The story is told about Peter. You know, you know Peter's testimony that Peter was uh, hung upside down on a cross and he died. But what we don't hear a lot about, which scholars have recorded, is how Peter's wife died. See, because they wanted to be extremely cruel to Peter, they decided that they would crucify his wife before he died so that they would, he would be forced to watch his own wife die. So they hung her on a cross. And made Peter stand in chains and watch his wife. Now, I want you just to put yourself in this situation, okay, with me, just for a minute. That's horrible. I mean, nobody here would disagree with this. It's a horrible thing. But Peter would stand there, because they, they let him talk, and he would say to his wife, this, these are the words he would say to her, it's going to be all right, honey. It's all right. Soon you will be 
in heaven with the Lord. Soon it will all be over. Pain and suffering will end. And you will stand before your Savior. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't lose hope. You're almost there. You're just about ready to cross the line. You know, they were so upset because they figured, the Romans, they figured, well, if we do this to Peter's wife, he'll be so upset and he'll be screaming. And, and yet, for Peter, there was a joy knowing that when his wife took her last breath here, she was in the gates of glory of heaven. Peter was soon to follow. He told her while she hung there and was dying, I'll be there in just a few minutes, honey. I'll be there in just a few minutes. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. See, the resurrection is more than just, uh, you know, for some people this isn't just another holiday thing, you know. Get off work for a day, go party, whatever. Some it's eggs and candy and bunnies and peeps and all the other stuff. And that's fine. But for the Christian believer, the Christian believer, it says to every one of us, there's an empty tomb in Jerusalem that God raised Jesus from the dead. To the Christian believer, it says that I can have hope no matter what is going on in my life. I can have hope in a future. For the Christian believer, it says that I'm not afraid of death. I will face death down because death cannot win. Death cannot hold me. Death cannot take. Don't live your life fearful of cancer. Don't live your life fearful of diabetes. Don't live your life fearful of having a massive coronary. Don't live your life fearful of dying young. Live your life as a believer saying, God, no matter what happens in my life, you are with me. And the plus for us is we believe in miracles. But we live our lives full of hope because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection. An empty tomb, Exhibit A. 515 witnesses over 40 days tell the exact same testimony. Exhibit B. Exhibit C. Changed, transformed lives. If you've come to Christ and your life has not been changed, if you have not been transformed, I challenge you, my friend, to make a commitment in your life to allow God to take you to the levels that He has for your life. And don't just go through life in a mediocre Christian experience because I want to tell you, you know, it's nice when you go to the water, it's great being up there around the edges of the water, you know, and you just kind of splash around. But you know where the real fun is? In the deep. You got to go a little deeper than where you're at right now. You can keep splashing around on the fringes of Christian faith and hope and church and all the stuff, just staying right along the edge of it. But you're not ever going to experience everything that God has for you until you get out there into the water. Sometimes you got to be careful. You know, you feel because it's new. You go, well, I'll just go ankle deep. Hey, that's great. 
If you went from being foot deep to ankle deep, that's awesome. And then you're going to go knee deep. And then after you get out there and get a little more comfortable, you're going to feel compelled to go waist deep. And when you get a little more comfortable, you're going to start thinking. You know, usually, like when even no matter how cold the water is, when, by the time you get to waist deep, you know what you're thinking? I'm going to dive. I just got to go under because I'm not going to wait. I'm not, I, it, it's cold. It's different. I don't, I'm uncomfortable. So if I'm going to be uncomfortable now, I'm already up to my waist in uncomfortableness, right? So I'm just going to go ahead and take the plunge. Friend, today is a day to take the plunge into the depths of all the resurrection power that God has for us. Amen. This is a day to celebrate the resurrected Savior in our lives, the empty tomb that has secured our past sins, our forgiven glory, that our present always has hope within it, that we live tomorrow morning, we'll get up, and we will be so hopeful about our future. And knowing that no matter what we hear, no matter what we face, no matter what happens, we're not afraid of death. We face death down and say, look, you couldn't beat our Savior. You cannot beat us as well. He defeated. That's why he showed up and said, look, I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Don't be afraid anymore. It cannot hold you. It cannot lock you down. It cannot keep you. Amen. Give the Lord a good hand this morning. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. <clears throat> I want you to bow your heads with me, if you would, all over the building and online as well. And look, today, I don't need to know your circumstances. I don't need to know, uh, you know, I don't want to know it because that's between you and your God right now. But if you're here this morning and you say, look, Pastor Jolliffe, I, I haven't had a redemptive experience. I haven't. I still feel weighted down by sin. I haven't had a redemptive experience because I still feel like somehow i got to pay for what I've done. I haven't had a redemptive experience with Christ, an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, look, if you're sitting here today and you say, my life is not right with God, and I know it's not right with God, Jesus Christ compels you today by the Spirit to believe on Him, accept His Lordship, and walk the path of transformation. New life is ahead of you as you receive what Christ has done for you. So I'm going to ask all over the building, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you'd say, Pastor, that's me. My life is not right with God. Uh, and I, I know it's not right. I have not had a redemptive experience in my life. I'm not right with God today. All I'm going to ask while heads are bowed all over the building is I'm going to just ask you to make eye contact with me in the building today. And I'm going to pray with you here in just a few minutes. Thank you. I'm going to pray with you. Uh, here this morning, and we're going to pray, and we're going to make this right with God. We're going to get you on that path of a redemptive, thank you. Uh, join these three, four, five. Is there anyone else here today to say, that's me? Just make eye contact with me. Once you do that, you can put your head back down. Uh, is there anyone else here today? We want to give everyone here that opportunity. Thank you, Father God. So join these five today and say, yes, yes, yes. I want to experience the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. Thank you, Father God. Six, thank you. Amen. Amen. Anyone else while heads are bowed now?
Anyone else? Say, that's me. I just want to give time. I know sometimes it, the Lord's dealing with people. Would join these six here today and say, that's me. We're all going to pray together in just a few minutes, but I really believe Jesus Christ's presence is here today. Seven, thank you. Thank you, Lord. We'll join these seven today. Eight. Is there anyone else? Thank you, Father God. All over the building. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Hallelujah. Everybody look up at me. Eight people. Isn't that exciting? Amen. Now listen. Two questions people ask. Is it real? Does it work? Right? Is it real? Does it work? First of all, let me answer the first question. It's real. Like my life was so screwed up. And I mean, Jesus is, he's still working on me. He's not done. But it's so real. He's as real to me as you sitting here today. It's real. Does it work? Well, if you knew where I came from, if you knew the life that I lived, if you knew how broken up my life was and how, what a mess, you'd say, well, it worked for him. Well, here's the good news. It'll work for you. I want everybody to stand with me if you would today. We're going to pray, and as we do, I want you to pray with me. I want you to pray right, I want you to pray out loud, repeating what I say. But I want you to really, I'm going to take this slow, because I want you to really hear yourself saying this for yourself. Because it doesn't do any good just to go through a prayer and you're not really focusing on what it is that you're saying in this prayer for yourself, because that's where your faith is released. Faith comes by hearing hearing you say it, and hearing by the Word of God. Bow your heads with me if you would, and let's pray together. Say this, Lord Jesus, Jesus, you were born of a virgin. virgin. You lived a sinless life. life. You died a horrible death. You died died a horrible death. death. Three days later, later, you rose from the dead. dead. To To make sure everything you had done would be established. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from sin. I turn from religious thinking. And I turn to you. Jesus, I need a relationship with you. I want to know you and the power of your resurrection. So I turn to you as I turn from sin. I yield my life to you, Lord. Take control. I give my future to you, Lord. Guide my life. I surrender all that I am, all that I have, into your hands, Lord. Thank you for accepting me and giving me new life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray right now, Lord God, that you would sweep through this place every heart that called out to you, Lord God, to have a true redemptive experience with you, Lord. I believe today, 
will be the path of that experience for their lives, Lord God. Those who here, Lord God, have lost hope, have found, had the opportunity to find true hope no matter what they're facing in their life, Father God. And I thank you right now, Lord Jesus, that we will live our lives facing down death without fear, without running, without hiding from it, but saying boldly, that we are yours, Lord God, and there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ, not height, depth, depth, hallelujah, length, breadth, no thing, peril, famine, nakedness, sword, shall separate us from the love of Christ. The love of Christ. Therefore, we can say today, we leave this place as more than conquerors through Christ who has loved us, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Give the Lord a good hand, these eight today, amen. Glory to God, hallelujah.